Pastor Eric was saying, it has been cold. And I grew up in Michigan in the Midwest. And so I, I kind of just laugh as I watch the news. I have two sisters back in Michigan. And Pastor Eric, it wasn't negative 27. It was negative 40 back in Michigan. And so my two sisters are there. One has six kids. One has two kids. And they have had six days of no school with their children locked in their homes. <laughs> And it's so cold, they can't even go outside. So they've been texting me pictures. So one of my sisters texted me this picture. And so it's just winter wonderland back there. Isn't that gorgeous? Negative 40. So my sister texted me this picture. I have never seen this in my life. And I I mean, I grew up, snow, ice, the whole thing. She sent me this picture of her door. This is inside her house. It is so cold. The inside of her doorknob is frosted. I'm like, Jessica, how are you guys surviving? She's like, oh, we're like, everybody's huddled down in front of the fire. We're sleeping in front of the fire. So I'm like, well, me being the, um, oh, I don't know, supportive, helpful, middle child that I am, um, I had to post a picture of our own from, you know, the trauma that we're facing out (laughs) in Southern California. And I don't know if you ever guys read the Babylon Bee, but um, they posted this great, um, just kind of helpfulness for us Southern California. So I sent this to them. And I thought I'd read it to you guys just for edification of the body of Christ. The rest of the nation may be battling bitter cold, but they have no idea what the poor people in California are about to face. Whether in the mid-50s, with a chance of something called rain across Los Angeles, San Diego, and the Inland Empire, Californians swarmed local stores looking to buy jackets, scarves, earmuffs, and mittens, hoping to survive the imminent mild weather. This polar vortex could be the worst meteorological disaster to hit the state in decades, said one Fox 11 News anchor gravely as a special weather disaster watch 2019 warning graphic flashed on the screen. Stay indoors and try not to talk too much. (laughs) Don't risk it out there in the deadly cold. You might even have to put on shoes, he added. May God help us all. While temps are expected to drop to the unprecedented low 50s, weathermen confirmed that wind chill could put that up in the high 40s, at which point most Californians are expected to simply keel over and die. (laughs) The rest of the nation seemed to be okay with this. So that's how my week has gone with um, having a little fun with my sisters and all my friends back in the Midwest. Um, Not a lot of love towards California right now um, from the rest of the country. And love is a crazy thing. Love is what makes the world go round, right? Love is actually what defines our God. God is love. And Jesus came to show us all about this love. Jesus came so that we would be attracted to this love so much that we would pour this love out onto others. Now, my, my interest in being a Christian is really about trying to understand who this Jesus is and how does he make my life better? And how does he make me better at life? How does he make the people in my life experience me and our world differently because I believe in this Jesus. What is it about the gospel that Jesus shares that makes Christians different? What is it about Jesus that gives us purpose and meaning and hope that is different from the way the rest of the world experiences life? And I find the Bible to be so provocative so filled with raw emotion and stories of human agony and questions and trials. 
And I love how it seems to smack right up against our creator and say, what are you going to do with us? What are you going to do with the words I have said and the actions I have done? Are you still going to love me in spite of the ways that I mess up? You see, the Bible talks about how God's love is so vast and wide and indestructible. Do you experience God's love to be indestructible? Do you ever wonder those questions? Have what I did this week, have what I have done to other people this week, is it still in the realm of God's love? Is God's love really indestructible? Now, 19th century philosopher Kierkegaard wrote uh, a story. And in this story, he describes a king. And he says this king was one of the most feared tyrants in all the land. People would tremble at him. Statesmen were nervous to say a word against him because his authority was rampant throughout the land. And one day when this king was riding through his kingdom, he saw a fair maiden. And when he saw this fair maiden, he said, yowza, yowza, yowza. And he drove home and he couldn't stop thinking about this fair maiden. He kept thinking about her. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. And so he decided to call his advisor in and he said, I have decided that we need to go and get this fair maiden and bring her to my castle and she will be my queen. And the advisor said, well, king, that's a great idea. The only problem is if you do that, if you go and you get her and bring her here, you'll never know if you actually have her heart or if she's here only by imperial edict. To which the king said, good point. So he thought about it and he came up with a new strategy. He said, I know, I will go to her and I will present myself to her and make her my queen. And again, another advisor said, King, that's really good idea, but I don't know, because the problem is when you travel, you roll deep, dude. I mean, we're talking, you've got a whole entourage, you've got horses, you've got advisors, you've got military men. I mean, when we kind of storm into the village, there's dust and there's thunder and there's an entourage. And when you just show up and present yourself to her, she's going to be so overwhelmed, she's not even going to know what to say. To which the king looked at his advisor and said, ah, yes, another good point. So he thought about it a little more and he decided there was only one thing that he could do. He needed to take the crown off of his head and he needed to take the robes off of his shoulder and he needed to take his ring off his finger and he needed to dress as one of the villagers and he needed to move into her village and woo her as an equal. Now, Eugene Peterson, when he wrote the message in John 1, he said that the divine took on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. This is what our Jesus did. He took off the crown and the robes and he took on flesh as one of the commoners and he moved into our neighborhood to woo us as an equal. John says that Jesus is light and he is love. And love, like light, is a little bit vague. Light, you either turn on or you turn off. Unless you are in the dark and you are looking to get home. And then you are looking for the light because the light is what brings you home. Jesus was light and he was love. And his love was completely unequivocal because it disrupted 
lives. Jesus would embrace lepers and he would eat with tax collectors and sinners. He would go to everyone who was on the fringe of society and that the norms were not um, following what they, the ways that they were leading their lives. He would go to all the outcasts. He would go to all the losers and he would make friends with them. He would disrupt their world. He would eat with them. He would sit with them. He would talk with them. He would heal them. And it made the religious people of the day very, very nervous. People in that day would get very uncomfortable when grace and love became extended beyond the defined boundaries of their systems. It was very different back then than it is today. When Jesus began teaching, one of the first things he stood up and he said to the church was this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor. The Lord looks favorably upon you. You have the Lord's favor. Does anyone need to hear that this morning, that the Lord is for you and not against you? Is there anyone this morning who's been carrying a secret around with them, hoping that no one would find out, and you don't know if the Lord's favor is with you? Is there anyone who's wrestling with some habits or some bad behaviors, and you're like, oh, why did I do that again and again? Why is it that I can't seem to stop that? And you wonder, is the Lord's favor still with me? Does anyone need to hear that God still loves you this week, right now, today, right where you sit? Now, in our world, in our culture today, um, there's a lot of things that people think when they hear the word Christian. When they hear the word Christian, do they think, oh man, these are the people that know how to love, man. They know the God's love. They know how to live in it. They know how to give it. Is that what they think? Or do they have other thoughts about what the word Christian means? I am attracted to the radical love of God. Now, the word radical, it has its roots in the word rad. That's where we get our word radish. And it means rooted deep. Uh, a radish is rooted deep. That's how it grows. And I believe that we are in a time in our lives and in our culture where we need to understand, hold on to, and live in the radical love of God like never before. So that we can not only experience that, but communicate that to our world. Perhaps in our high-tech, fast-paced, information-overloaded, uber-smart culture that we have, we need to return to something that is simpler, counter-cultural, and radically foundational. Something so simple is that God is love, and he sent Jesus to us in this love so that we would know it, we would hold on to it, and we would share it. Now, John was one of the writers of the Bible. He was a simple fisherman. He spent his days out on the water covered in salty sea spray. His muscles were big and hard from hauling in nets and, and lifting fish in and out. His, his day job was labor-filled. He, uh, he would watch the weather. The weather was important to him. Red skies at night, sailors delight. Red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. For the weather depended a lot about his success. For a stormy sea would mean for chaotic 
oceans, and that would mean that he may not be able to get the fish that he needed for that day. John watched the prices in the fish market for a good day of fish meant a good day at the fish market, but a bad day on the water meant no fish, and no fish for a fisherman means failure. Now, with failure would come no paycheck. And this was a family business. He and his brother James, uh, they were known as the Sons of Thunder. They had thunderbolt tattoos right there on their arm, probably because they were loud and passionate and had quick tempers, the Sons of Thunder. But they were sailors, salty sailors. And a day, one day, when they least expected it, a wandering itinerant rabbi came walking by. Now, they had been out on the sea all night, and they had caught nothing. No fish. Nothing. No fish for a fisherman is failure. And as they sat uh, pulling in their nets and cleaning them to prepare them for the next day, all they could think about was heading home and getting a quick shower and heading into bed. They were tired. They were exhausted. They were cranky. They were angry. They were frustrated. And this wandering itinerant rabbi walked by, and he looked at his friend, Peter, who was a fisherman with him, and said, Peter, um, would you take me out in the boat so that I can teach to the crowds? And I can only imagine that look that would pass between friends, that John passed a look off to Peter. You know the look that said, glad it's you and not me. I am heading home, but you got stuck by this rabbi. And so Peter, not wanting to be disrespectful of Jesus, he agreed. It wasn't every day that a rabbi came and was hanging out with the fishermen of the local village. And so Peter took Jesus out in the rowboat. And as Peter rowed Jesus out, Jesus looked out on the shore. And the the water was used to amplify his voice. And so he could teach to the crowds who had gathered to hear Jesus' teaching. And when Jesus had finished, he looked up at Peter He said, Peter, I want you to roll back out to deep water and let's put your nets out again. Let's go fishing some more. I can only imagine that Peter was thinking, are you crazy? Dude, you stick to preaching, I'll stick to fish. This is what I know. There's no fish, Jesus. None, zero, nada. Been out there all night. There's no fish. But Peter, again, was respectful. And maybe the way that Jesus said it caught Peter by surprise, but he decided to listen to Jesus. And he began to row the boat back out to the deep water where he had just been. And he got out his nets that he had already begun to clean and stack for the next day. And he threw his nets back out in the water. And all of a sudden he felt that familiar tug, the fish, And then it got heavier and heavier. And Peter, he engaged his muscles and he began to pull those nets in. And there were fish. He looked at Jesus and he couldn't believe it. There were fish. Where did these fish come from? And it wasn't a few fish. It was more fish than Peter had ever seen. And he kept hauling in this fish. And the scriptures tell us that there were so many fish, his nets began to tear. And I can only imagine his adrenaline kicked in and he began hauling in the fish. And scripture says he called to his friends on the shore. Now John... James, they'd been on shore, and, you know, they'd been cleaning their nets. John was dreaming about that cup of coffee he was going to have when he got home. Take a shower, get in bed. Bad night out on the water. But he kind of kept an eye on on his friend Peter. (laughs) He got suckered by that rabbi. Had to go back out on the water. But then when Peter began rowing Jesus out into the deep water, he was like, what is that fool doing? Why is he going back out there? There's no fish. We were already out there. There's no fish. 
But he kept watching, and he saw Peter put his nets into the water, and then his jaw dropped when he saw John begin to pull in, or Peter pull in his nets, and there were fish. There was more fish than John had ever seen Peter pull in before, and he didn't even need to have Peter call to him. He and his brother James were in that boat. They were making a beeline to Jesus. He could hardly wait to put his nets down into the water, and as he lowered his nets down, he felt that familiar tug that a fisherman knows so well that there was fish in his net, and as he began to pull his nets in, they were so heavy, and he kept pulling fish into his boat, more and more fish. In fact, his nets began to rip. There were so many fish. The fish began to pile up on their boats. They were ankle deep in fish. Then they were knee deep in fish. They were thigh deep in fish. They were chest deep in fish. Luke 5 tells us that there were so many fish that the boat began to sink. Jesus was sinking a fisherman's boat. You don't mess with a fisherman's boat. There were so many fish. And I can only imagine that John and Peter looked at Jesus. Who was this freak rabbi fisherman that they were with? Who was this guy? And why did fish respond to him? What was going on? They had never experienced anything like this. The weariness of the night must have just evaporated for James and John and Peter as they worked on hauling fish. And as they did, they looked at Jesus and they knew they were hooked. They were in. They would follow this man anywhere. And do you know they did? They rowed their boats back to shore, and Scripture says they left their boats on the shore, and they followed Jesus. They left their boats, the biggest catch of their life, money in their pocket. They left it sitting in their boats. Fish free for the taking for all of Galilee. Fish rotting in the hot sun of the Galilee region, and they followed Jesus. They took off after him. And it wasn't a sermon that changed him. It wasn't five spiritual laws. It wasn't eight big ideas. It wasn't even a healing. It wasn't even raising someone from the dead. Do you know why John followed Jesus? Because he was the best dang fisherman that he had ever seen. John followed Jesus because Jesus spoke his love language. Fish! That was what it took to get a fisherman to be a disciple of Jesus. John's life was completely disrupted. Disrupted! He had never seen anything like it and he knew he would never see anything like it again. And somewhere in the midst of that frenzy of fishing with Jesus, he realized something. He realized, I do not need to be afraid. If in all of my skill and my experience, I go out to the deep waters and I cannot catch a thing, and this wandering itinerant rabbi fisherman shows up, and fish like are jumping into my boat, he can do anything. I do not need to be afraid. And then that fisherman, John, became a disciple and followed Jesus. And he wrote one of the, perhaps the most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture. People who aren't even Christ followers know this verse. Maybe you're here today and you're not yet a Christ follower. I'm so glad you're here. You are in the right place. I'm so glad you came. Maybe you have even heard this verse. It's tattooed on arms, it is stitched on doilies, it might even make an appearance at the Super Bowl this afternoon. John 3, 16, for God so loved 
this world. That he gave his one and only son who was a fishing rabbi. That whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to show us this love. He came to pour out this love for us. He came to give us this love in abundance so that all of a sudden we would find ourselves ankle deep, knee deep, thigh deep, chest deep in a love so overwhelming we would not know what to do with it. John was overwhelmed by it. He was completely disrupted with it and he became convinced that this love was something that would change our world. He became convinced that this was worth giving his life for. He became convinced that this love was worth trying to talk about and explain in so many different ways that somehow people would understand. Because John had come to understand. John had spent three years of his life with Jesus. He knew Jesus really well. He knew his favorite foods. He knew his habits. He knew his mannerisms. He'd watched Jesus in his leadership style. He'd watched him in his conflict resolution. He knew how Jesus would respond when people criticized him or persecuted him or or angry at him. He knew Jesus. And he watched as Jesus was hung on that cross. And he watched as the earth went dark when he was buried and hope was lost. But John was also there when Jesus walked out of that grave and hope sprang back to life and lives and hearts were filled with the hope that this Jesus is true and he is real and he is powerful and he is inviting us into a love unlike the one that the world has ever known. John was disrupted by this love. This world has been disrupted by this love. And he invites us to be disrupted by this love. You see, love disrupts so that hope can spring up. Love disrupts us so that hope can spring up within us. And love is surprising, is it not? especially in our culture in our day today. Because when someone treats us with patience or kindness, when we are cranky and angry and frustrated because we have been out all night and there's been no fish, and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, and I don't know if what I've given my life to makes a difference. I don't know if it matters. And we're cranky and we're frustrated. And when someone treats us with kindness and patience, it's surprising because we don't expect that. In a highly individualized world that is competing for success and fame, it is surprising when love shows up and cheers us on and champions us rather than diverting all the focus back to that other person. That's surprising when someone else advocates for us and champions us with love. In a highly sexualized culture that seems to be more and more devaluing human life, it is surprising to me when someone shows up and says, I will protect you because I love you. When love shows up to protect someone else other than yourself, it is surprising In our world today, it is surprising when someone says, I will trust you, I will hope with you, I will persevere with you, because I don't see that that often. And when people show up in that way in my life, I am surprised by a love that only God can 
push into a person and push out through another person. That kind of love disrupts my natural human tendencies of self-gratification and self-centeredness. It's like this love that has this magnetic pull because it's outside of myself and it's so unique and so different from the love that I see in this world. Love comes from God and love leads to God. John was called the beloved disciple. Five times in scripture he says, I am the one that Jesus loved. I am the beloved disciple. And it got me thinking all week long, why was John the beloved disciple? What did John know about the love of Jesus that we don't know? And it got me thinking about his backstory and how John encountered Jesus and knew the abundance of Jesus' love in a way that was precious and rare and surprising and disruptive. And that John wrote these words in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on this love. Do you rely on the love of God? Has it disrupted your life? A burly, salty sailor was disrupted by the love of God, so much so that he could rely on it. He gave his entire life. He transitioned his entire life. He changed his entire life for that love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that you will have confidence. Do you have confidence in the love of God? Does the love of God give you a strength deep in your soul, deep in your bones? John is talking about a kind of love that gives us confidence in how we walk and how we talk and how we carry ourselves and the way that we think and the way we talk with our world. Have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Has the love of Jesus driven fear out of your life? Has the love of Jesus changed how you interact with what makes you afraid? Have you leaned into the power, the life-changing, transformational, surprising, hope-giving disruption of love so that it drives fear out of your life? Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command 
anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So I wonder, how do we figure this out? How do we start to reveal and share this remarkable love of God? In your sermon notes, you have a blank paper that I want you to get out. It says, who are your neighbors? So grab your blank paper, grab a pen or a pencil. And what I want you to do is actually think about your neighbors. I want you to draw your house and then draw your neighborhood around your house. So maybe draw like 10 houses or if you're in an apartment building, the 10 apartment buildings around your apartments. If you're in a dorm, the 10 dorms around your dorm. And I want you to write where you live, the 10 around. And if you can, I want you to write the names of your neighbors. Do you know the neighbors? I wonder if this is a place where we could actually start. Like, who are our neighbors? And how do we show this crazy, surprising, disruptive love to our neighbors? This is what Jesus did. And he said this, the greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second greatest command is... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So maybe we start here. Maybe we start with our neighbors and we figure out ways to speak love and show love to disrupt their world. Speak love and show love to disrupt their world. So I kind of got this idea to put this grid together so I could map my neighborhood, map my neighbors, first learn their names. I I, I got about five out of 10, maybe six. So I'm halfway there. I still got to take some effort to learn some more names, put them on my grid, and then figure out some ways to speak love to them. And I'm actually going to write this down, like write down when I'm able to speak some surprising words of grace and love to them, and then show love, do some surprising actions to them that they would never expect, because this is what Jesus did, and this is how he transformed his world. This is how he disrupted lives. This is how he showed up with a compelling, surprising love. So maybe we need to do this for our actual neighbors. Maybe we need to do this in our work environments and we need to write down maybe where we work and maybe the 10 cubicles around our cubicle or the 10 offices around our offices and figure out their names and figure out how to speak love and how to show love to disrupt their lives. Maybe we need to do this with our families. Maybe we need to write write their 10 names, figure out how to speak love and show love to disrupt their lives world. This is how Jesus loved our world. As the worship team comes up, we're going to just close as we think about this kind of love because it is a beautiful, transformational love. It is compelling and it's authentic and it's disruptive. For it to be real, you have to own it. For it to be real, it has to stick. There has to be something that you wrestle with, that you struggle with. You have to have your own life disrupted. You have to have your own boat almost sunk with fish. Sometimes in the Christian community, this means we have to leave our different opinions behind and stand united behind a rabbinic Jewish fisherman who loved to go out into the deep water and surprise people with how much fish you could get. Sometimes that meant that we would be called to follow this Jewish rabbi fisherman and go united together, leaving our own egos and and gather at a communion table and take the bread and the cup and be reminded of the gift of love that was given in such a sacrificial way that it was surprising And it was disruptive. 
Jesus said, I did it for John with fish. But I did it for a leper. I did it for a blind man. I did it for a tax collector. I did it for a dead Lazarus. I did it for a bleeding woman. And I did it for a whole lot of people that I surprised when I walked out of that tomb. My love is surprising. It is powerful. It is disruptive. And Jesus said love is what is compelling to this world. Love is what will change this world one life at a time. One of our values is that found people find people. And this is how found people find people. By making a love so compelling to your neighbors and your work environment and your families. By showing words, by speaking words of love and showing actions of love in a way that disrupts their world. So as we close today, I want to invite you to, we're going to stand with the worship team and and sing this final song. And I want to invite you, if you haven't had a chance to have communion, you're welcome to come to one of the communion tables up front and uh, take the elements as as Jared and the team leads us in in a closing song. Let's go deep into the water and see how much our lives can be disrupted by the love of God so that we can go forth and disrupt this world with love.